So tonight, as I said, we start this new series called Neighbors. And so next week, as we move into a new neighborhood in Barberton, we thought, man, this is really an important time for us to talk about what it means for us to be good neighbors. And so um, I'm also excited at the end of our time, I'm going to talk about this project that we're going to do together um, that I think is going to be a really cool way to get to know our neighbors and serve some people uh, on the other side of the world that have some great needs. So I'm excited for tonight. Tonight, I just want to kind of just open up the discussion and give you some stuff to think about and kind of get your wheels turning a little bit. The other morning, we were sitting around the breakfast table, and uh, you know, it's kind of getting ready for school, and we started talking. I don't know how we started talking about this, but I started talking about my grandparents, my mom's parents. They've both uh, deceased. They both passed away at this point, but I was just remembering them. My kids were asking me questions about them. And my grandpa, my grandpa is a great, he was a great guy. He was like a, a big man, you know? I'm 5'7". I'm not a big man. He was a big guy with a big old white beard, you know, and he was gruff. Like, he was not a warm and fuzzy kind of guy. That was not my grandpa. He was a gruff guy. It's interesting, later in his life, before he died, he actually got dementia and Alzheimer's. And for him, it affects people in different ways, but for him, it was really interesting. It actually, my mom would say, it actually made him better. Because for the first time, he would smile. And he was happy. He didn't talk much, but he was happy. It was really interesting. So we're talking about my grandpa, and then we started talking about my grandma. And my grandma was funny. She never got her driver's license, and so she was at home a lot, like almost all the time, you know? And when I say at home, she would be like in her house all the time. Like very seldom did she even go outside of her home into the yard. She was always inside. And yet she knew everything that was happening in the neighborhood around her. Like she knew everything. So she lived here in Barberton. So every week, like she would read every word of the Barberton Herald. She knew the Barberton Herald front and back. There's a couple times when I was in high school for basketball. I don't know if we played Barberton or what, but I had a couple pictures in the Herald, and you would have thought that I was like a rock star or something to my grandma, you know, she was so excited, but she would read the Barber and Herald front to back, and she watched out her windows, she, she was a watcher, and so like she saw when people came and went, she saw when somebody got a new car, she, she watched and she knew when somebody's son or daughter got married, she watched, she knew when somebody passed away, like she was a watcher. She was like the watching neighbor. Anybody have a, ever have a watching neighbor? Yeah. We all have. You just don't know it. They were watching you. Trust me. I've shared a few times that um, growing up, my family owned a trailer park. And so um, that was like one of the things in my life that shaped me a lot as a person. And so the first, I don't know, 12, 13 years of my life, we lived right next to the trailer park. And it was a big trailer park, like 150 trailers. It was a big place. And we lived right next to it. And then even when we moved like five minutes up the road, I was there a lot. Like I worked at the trailer park a, a ton. Even up to last year, I was like doing the books before we sold it. So my dad sold it last year. But over those 40 years, I'm 40 now, over those 40 years of being connected with that trailer park, I saw a lot of different kinds of neighbors, you know? Like, you see a lot of different kinds of people. 
this amazing study in sociology, how people relate to each other and different personalities. Stuff. So you'd see like these watching neighbors like my grandma was. Right? There was watching neighbors. And I saw uh, lots of nosy neighbors in the trailer park, you know, which is like the first cousin to the watching neighbor, right? Like the nosy neighbor is always trying to find out what's happening in other people's lives. And once they find out, they like to talk about it, right? They like to tell other people about it. They're also known as the gossiping neighbor. I remember one lady in particular, I think she was lot 44. This lady was amazing. She knew everything happening in that trailer park. So like you drive, she sat outside all the time. You drive by and you try not to make eye contact with her because if she caught your eye, she would do one of these. Come over here. Come on, I gotta tell you something, you know? Do you you know that that number 57 over there, they're thinking about buying a new shed, a gigantic shed and put it on the lot? They ask you about that yet? You know, you know, Beth over there across the street, she's got some guy coming in every night. I think he's staying there. I think he's sleeping there. Can he tell you about that? Right? Like, she knows everything going on. Nosy neighbor. Anybody ever have a nosy neighbor? Yes, I've had many nosy neighbors. Or I've seen many nosy neighbors. I've also seen a lot of complaining neighbors. Right? Complaining neighbors. You know these people. They're always upset about something. They're always complaining about something. If they're talking, they're complaining. Someone's too loud. Someone's cat's making weird noises in the middle of the night. Someone's not mowing their yard quickly enough. Someone's not putting their trash cans back. You always wonder what they say about you when you're not around. Like, you just assume they're complaining about you when you're not right in front of them, right? Complaining neighbor. How about, how about the hermit neighbor? Ever, ever have a hermit neighbor? You never see them, right? Usually they have a big fence up around their yard. Uh, you know they're alive still because you see the lights come on and off in the interior of the house every once in a while. If, if you do see them, they never make eye contact with you, right? They always immediately look away. The hermit neighbor. Lots of different kinds of neighbors. How about the um, a little too comfortable with their body neighbor? You seen these guys? They're, they're usually really big hairy men. They don't like to wear a shirt. They usually sunbathe in their driveway or their front yard in a Speedo. You know these guys? Like you've seen them walk across their front window one too many times just wearing their tidy whiteies. Yeah. We've seen a few of those neighbors at the trailer park. How about the busy neighbor? We've seen lots of busy neighbors over the years, right? They come and go. They zip in. They zip out. They're not usually unfriendly people, right? But you never get more than a, hey, how you doing? And they're gone. Territorial neighbors? I mean, we, were, we were kind of brainstorming different neighbors at my house this week. Territorial neighbors? You ever have these? Usually they're very particular about their yard, you know, about their, their property. So if you mow your yard and you get like one inch into their property, you're going to hear about it. These, these are the ones that if they live in the country, they, they post the very prominently the no trespassing sign, you know? If you live in a subdivision, it's, a, it's the little more discreet, slightly less, less harsh, no soliciting sign on their front door. Territorial neighbors. We got loud, obnoxious neighbors. Usually, they're, uh, they, they love to play loud music in the middle of the night. We saw lots of these at the trailer park. We had lots of phone calls at the trailer park. Usually, they had a drum set. They couldn't play, but they just liked to bang on it. And they love fireworks all year round, right? <laughs> and then sometimes, you find a good neighbor. Anybody ever have a good neighbor? Like a really good neighbor? Think, think about this. Think about this question. What made them a good neighbor? Like, what, what about them made you raise your hand just now? Were, were they, you know, helpful to you? Were they available to you? Were, were they people that were easy to talk to? 
Were, were they kind and gracious to you? Maybe they were people that were like legitimately interested in you. Like they, they just kind of wanted to get to know you. They wanted to hear you talk. Or they were encouraging to you. I bet they were somebody that, that you felt like genuinely cared about you. Like genuinely loved you. Here's a good question for you to think about. Honestly, to honestly think about it. What kind of neighbor are you? Like... Hey, maybe here's a better question. What kind of neighbor would your neighbors describe you as? Right? I think about that. I'm reading a book right now. It's a really good book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. It's by two guys. I think both, one's a pastor for sure. I think both, both of them are pastors. Guys named Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. And so the, the book starts out, it's really interesting. The book starts out where these guys organize a meeting of other pastors. They live in the Denver area. And they organize, I think it was 20 pastors from different churches around the area. They set up a meeting with the mayor. And they ask the mayor a very simple question. They say, how can churches best work together to serve our city? Good, good question, right? Like they, they get him together and they say, man, we want to we make a difference in the city. How can churches best work together to serve the city? And so they talked about the different challenges in the city, you know, and it's things that, the same sort of challenges that we see in Barberton or whatever community that you live in, right? But then this guy, the mayor said something really interesting. Bob Fry is his name. That's what he said. He said, the majority of issues, of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. I'm going to read that again, because I want you to take that in. The majority of issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And a lot of times when people think of public leaders, of public officials, you think of different programs that they try to get started to make a difference in the city. He goes on, he says this, he says, relationships are more effective than programs. This is the mayor's words. Relationships are more effective than programs because they're organic and they're ongoing, right? So he didn't, he didn't use this tone, he didn't use these words, but these pastors walked away feeling like the mayor was saying to them, hey, it would be great if you could just get your people to do what Jesus said his followers should do and actually be good neighbors, actually love your neighbors. So this group of pastors walked away like their tails between their legs, humbled and also challenged to go back to their congregations and say, man, how can we be a group of good neighbors? See, Jesus said something in Matthew 22 that has huge bearing on our lives if we allow it to and if we take it seriously. It can have huge bearing on our lives. See, what's happened, some of the religious leaders of the time, this is actually a similar uh, confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders that we talked about during the, during the last series, the citizen series. So some of the, the religious leaders come up to Jesus, some of the Pharisees, I call them super Jews, they come up to Jesus, they're trying to, to trip him up, right? And so they ask him this question. One of the, the experts in the law asked him this question. They said, what's the greatest commandment in the law, the religious law that God has given us? Jesus, what's the great, if you got to boil it all down to one, what's the greatest one? And they're looking to trip him up. You know, however he answers, they wanted to trip him up. And this is what Jesus says. Let's look at it. It's Matthew 22. We'll throw it up on the screens. 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which is another group of religious leaders, hearing that he had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the super Jews, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. He said, the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying all of the Bible. All the law, all the prophets, all the Bible hang on these two commandments. This is, this is what's known as the great commandment. That's what Christians call this, the great commandment. And I want you to take a moment. I want to read it again. I want you, just the, 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 starting in verse 36 there. I want you to start to think about what bearing this has on your life. As you sit here tonight on these hard seats, what bearing does this have on your life? Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, everything you got. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the whole Bible, hang on these two commandments. Guys, I don't, I don't want you to miss what Jesus does here. He, he summarizes all of this with two statements. You want to know what the Bible says? Jesus, Jesus gives you the cliff notes, the extreme cliff notes version in two sentences. Love God with everything you got your heart, your soul, your mind, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. These two loves, and we're going to kind of flesh this out over the next couple weeks, these two loves are directly, intimately connected with each other. Loving God is directly connected to loving our neighbor. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. From that book, these two guys said it this way. They said, when Jesus was asked to reduce everything important into one command, he gave us a simple and powerful plan that if acted upon would literally change the world. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Do you think that our world would change significantly if you and I, if you say to tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, if you and I would actually just take to heart what Jesus said there, love God with everything that we've got and love our neighbor as ourself. When I, when I think of that, when I think of Jesus' statement there, the great commandment, it begs a question to me. Who's my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Begs a question. Well, who do you mean? Right? Like, who, who is my neighbor? In the Gospel of Luke, it captures this kind of parallel passage. It captures the very similar story and where these guys, these experts in the law, ask Jesus this question, what's the most important? He says, love God with everything that you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then it has a follow-up question in there that one of these guys asks. They ask the question, well, who's my neighbor? All right, love my neighbor as much. So who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus goes on and he tells a story about the Good Samaritan. We're not going to dig into that tonight. Probably some of you have heard this story before. It's a story about a good Samaritan who goes out of his way to help a guy that should have been his enemy, that people would have saw as his enemy. And the point that Jesus is making with sharing that story and answering that question is that everyone is my neighbor, right? He gives sort of the broad answer. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? He's saying everyone 
is your neighbor, right? He gets sort of this broad answer. Even those that you come across that you don't want to be your neighbor, they're still your neighbor as well. And of course, I, I read that and I go, yeah, I, I get it. I, I agree with what you're saying there, Jesus. But for the next few weeks, here's, here's my challenge to you. Maybe we can, that's a very broad explanation. Who's my neighbor? Everybody. Maybe we can narrow it down for the next few weeks and apply Jesus's uh, uh, challenge to us to love our neighbors to our literal neighbors. Like the people that literally live right around us. Let me ask you this. How do you think? So we said, man, I think the world would change if we as Christians would actually do what Jesus said. Let me say this. How do you think your neighborhood would change if you and me, if we like did what Jesus said? Like if we look to love him with everything that we've got and we look to our neighbors and we want to love them like we love ourselves, how do you think our neighborhood would change if we would just do that? That same book that I've referenced, The Art of Neighboring, they said it this way. I like this. I really agree with this. He said, I've come to believe that as followers of Jesus, one of the worthiest endeavors we can undertake is to take the great commandment, love God with everything that you got, love your neighbors yourself, to take the great commandment seriously and learn to be in relationship with our literal neighbors. They say it's a worthy endeavor if we would take it seriously and apply it to our literal neighbors. And guys, I really agree with that. Here's, here's an exercise for you. Ready? Think of the eight closest neighbors that you have around you. Like if your house is that little house right in the middle. Think about the eight closest neighbors that surround your house. Okay, and I know that some of us live in like little planned subdivisions where that's, a, that's really easy math. We could put people right into those boxes. Others of us might live in apartment buildings. We live in trailer parks. Maybe we live in a more rural place, and so it's a little harder to kind of figure out who our eight neighbors. Just think of the eight closest people physically to where you're at. Let me ask you some questions. What do you know about them? Like, just think about the people that are right around you. What do you know about them? Do you know their names? First names and last names? Do you know their kids' names? Do you, do you know anything going on in their lives? Like anything of, of, of significance going on in their lives. Ha, have you ever had more than a 15-minute conversation with them? More than a five-minute conversation with them? Do you know if they're followers of Jesus? I think about, put faces in there. Do you, know if, do you know if they know anything about Jesus? How about this? What do they know about you? Do they know, like, have you opened up your life to them at all? And, and I don't say this in any way to, like, put guilt on you. Like, we feel this in very real ways right now. We just moved over the summer. So we were in, you know, this neighborhood for, I don't know, nine years, something like that. And we had some great relations. And all of a sudden, we're, like, in this new neighborhood, you know? And we have, like, new neighbors to get to know and to meet. So I feel this just like you feel this. See, we live, for the first period in history, we live at a place where our neighbors could literally be on the other side of the planet from us, right? Like, li literally, we have this thing called the internet. And so we can have close, virtual, real-time conversations and relationships with people that aren't in our physical proximity. First time in history that we could do that, right? 
And it's awesome. It's amazing. It like makes the world a much smaller place. But I fear that way too often, it's at the sacrifice of us actually getting to know our literal neighbors. Like we go, yeah, man, I can, I can talk to somebody in Haiti just like that. I can talk to people in Africa just like that. Like in real time, we can comment on the same story, right? Like we could just like that. But we have no conversation and no relationship with the people that live right next door to us. You know, the, the people that, like, we can shake their hand. We can look right into their eyes. We could, we could invite them over and sit down at our table and have a meal with them. Our kids can play together every night. Let me ask you, do you think it's possible? This is a provocative statement. Do you think it's possible that we've gotten so broad in our application of who our neighbors are that we've actually really neglected our actual physical neighbors? I I can say that's true in my life in many ways. I remember um, a year or so ago, something like that, somebody asked me a question. You don't get asked this very much as an adult. Essentially, they ask the question, like, who's your best friend? You know? Like, kids ask that all the time. Am I your best friend? Am I your BFF? You don't get asked that very often as adults, but somebody asks us a question, like, so who are, like, the people that you're closest to? And I thought about it, and I gave them an answer, and my answer actually surprised me. You know, because I, as I thought about these people, I thought, you know, we have other friends that we've been friends with for a longer period of time than these people. I thought, you know, we have other friends that we actually have more in common with than these folks. We have other friends we enjoy spending time with them, but we have other friends that we really enjoy spending time with as well. But the people that really we're closest with are the ones that live like three doors down from us. They, they were the ones, and again, we've moved since, but they were the ones that, like, they would stop over with some extra food when they made a little too much dinner that night, and they just brought it over to be kind to us. They were the ones that our kids play with their kids, like, every night. You know, they're the ones that uh, we would, we would uh, stop and talk to when we're taking walks around the neighborhood. They're the ones that we call and say, hey, we're going to do a, a workout in our garage. You want to come over and work out with us? Like, that's, that's who they were. There's just something about living geographically next to somebody that gives us the potential to have a much deeper relationship with them than somebody... I mean, even 15 minutes away. It's amazing how big of a distance 15 minutes can seem. Something different. We have different potential. And I'm not minimizing longer distance relationships. Please don't hear me say that. But I'm saying the people that are right around us, we can get to know them in really significant ways. I've heard this statement uh, numerous times before, and and I really believe it. We live in a time, because of technology, that people are more relationally connected than ever, right? Like we have more, we have a broader number of relationships than ever, because primarily because of technology. And yet people are more lonely than ever. I have read lots of different articles that, that sociologists have said just that. Like we have all kinds of relationships and yet people are lonelier than they've ever been because all these relationships are like this deep, right? 
I read, it's not just true with young people either. Like when we talk about technology, it's not just true with young people utilizing technology. It's true for all of us. I read this article uh, this week. It's a recent article from the New York Times. This is the title. The title was Researchers Confront an Epidemic of Loneliness. Researchers Confront an Epidemic of Loneliness. And as the title suggests, it's talking about just how lonely we as a culture are becoming. Even though we have all of these short little shallow relationships, our culture is becoming lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. And one of the examples it gave was with the elderly in London. I don't know how that came up, but with the elderly in London. And it talked about this organization called the Silver Line Helpline. It's a 24-hour it's a call center for older adults seeking to fill a basic need, contact with people. And so they talk about this, and what they said was that this little call center, they said it's like this nondescript floor of this building. You know, it's like all it is. You don't even know it's there. This call center gets 10,000 calls a week from lonely older adults who just want to talk. They just, they just need to talk. And, and it said for some of them, it's the only time that week that they talk. They have, they have no other relationships. They're all alone. And it, and it was interesting. I think it was the, uh, somebody from the call center. They said this. They said a call-in line can help reduce feelings of loneliness temporarily, but it's not likely to reduce levels of chronic loneliness. And then the article goes on and it talks about the mounting evidence that links loneliness with physical illness, you know, uh, functional cognitive decline, even early death. Like loneliness causes early death. It's fascinating. The Bible actually speaks to this exact same thing thousands of years earlier. This is interesting. I, I didn't know this before I heard this a few weeks ago. Do you, do you know what the first crisis in the Bible was? Like if you start at the very beginning, you know what the first crisis in the Bible was? A lot of times we think it's sin. We think it's when you know, Adam and Eve, they go and they grab an apple from the tree that they're not supposed to and they eat it. A lot of times we think it's sin. It's actually not the first crisis in the Bible. The first thing in the Bible that God says is not good is for man to be alone. It's loneliness. The very first crisis of mankind. God creates everything, everything and it's good and it's very good. The very first thing he says is not good is for man to be alone. The first crisis in the Bible is loneliness. And so what does God do? He makes Eve, right? And Jesus knew this too, thousands of years later. Jesus often ministered to people on their need to be loved, their need to be accepted, Right? out of their loneliness that they were feeling, which we'll talk about here. We'll talk about some of this stuff with Jesus next week. Guys, let me ask you, what does it look like for you? I just want to, I want, tonight, I just want to get you thinking. I just want your wheels to start turning. What does it look like for you to be a good neighbor? Like, what does it look like for you to love your neighbor as yourself? Your neighbor who might be sitting at home really lonely. Maybe they're the hermit neighbor and they put up a big fence and they don't like to let people in. What does it look like for you to be a good neighbor and to love them? Maybe it's the loud, obnoxious neighbor that drives you crazy. It's somebody after the first service like, hey, I love my neighbors, but not this one. He's terrible, right? What does it look like for you to love that neighbor who maybe is looking for hope Maybe is looking to, to fill their life with things that are not healthy, hoping that it'll give him purpose and significance. 
What does it look like for you to love your neighbor that maybe is really struggling or doesn't even know what they need? They're just sort of functioning. They're just sort of doing life. Can I, can I challenge you in a few ways? This is by no means an exhaustive list, but again, just to get your, your juices flowing a little bit, can I just challenge you in four ways to think through what it looks like for you to love your neighbor, to serve your neighbor, to be a good neighbor to the folks that are living around you? Here's the first thing. Ready? It's very simple. All these are simple. Here's the first thing. Accept them. Just accept them. Every single one of us has this innate need, this inherent need to be accepted, to be loved, to be valued. First by God. Not everybody can verbalize that or even recognizes that. But we all have this inherent need to be accepted by God, but also to be accepted by other people. And, and when we do that, when we accept people, Christians, guys, we could be the worst at this. Not you guys, but others I've seen could be the worst at this. Like, we can get on our high horses and look down our noses at people with such judgment instead of accepting them for who they are, right? And by the way, when you accept somebody, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything they do. It doesn't mean you agree with everything that they believe, right? It means you value them. It means you care about them. And as we accept them, can I challenge you to not be repulsed by the messes in their lives? People's lives are messy. Your lives are messy, and so is mine. We can't be people who are repulsed by the mess and move in the other direction. We can't be people that move toward the mess in people's lives. You know why? Because God has moved toward the mess in our lives, right? That's what God does. And man, that motivates us and challenges us to do that with other people. That's the first thing, accept people. Here's the second thing take an interest in people. Like we can be so self-centered, excuse the alliteration there, we could be so self-centered to think that the only interesting things in life are the things that we think are interesting. That statement makes sense to you? It's not true. There's other things that are interesting that you don't think are interesting right off the bat. People want to have others take interest in them. Like legit, not fake, but like legitimate interest. I've learned to really love like getting to know, having conversations with people that are into things that I'm not into, you know? It's so interesting to me, you know? When somebody's like really passionate about, uh, you know, Pokemon Go, I don't know, I'm just making something They're really passionate about something. I have no interest at all in it. But when they explain why they're into it, why they're passionate about it, and what it does, and all that sort of stuff, like it generally generates this appreciation inside of me when I actually slow down, even if it's C-SPAN, even if it's something, no, right? It generates this interest inside of you where you go, man, I, I want to learn a little bit more. That's, that's fascinating, right? What if we just accept people? What if we take a genuine interest in what people are doing in their lives? How about this? Spend time with people? Guys, some of us, I'm as guilty as anybody on this, we live lives that are so busy doing such important things that we have no margin to actually hang out with our neighbors, right? Time is the most precious commodity that you and I have, and we can be very, very selfish with it. There is no way for you to do what Jesus calls you to do and be a good neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't make time to hang out with your neighbors. There's no way. It's impossible, right? 
Some of us, we just need, and again, I am guilty as anybody, we just need to slow down our lives a little bit so we have margin so that when we get home, we don't immediately pull into the garage, hit the button, put the garage door down, and get on to our busy lives. But we actually stop and we notice a neighbor who's sitting outside washing their car, and we walk over to them and say, hey, man, what's going on? Do you need some help? I'll help you wash your car. Which, which leads to the fourth thing. Fourth thing is serve them. And we should be people, as, as followers of Jesus, we should be people that really serve others. You know, when we see our neighbor washing the car, we stop. We help them. When we see somebody cutting down trees, you know, we walk out and, and offer to help them cut down trees or rake their leaves or whatever it is. Or if they're hurting and struggling, like we make time to serve them by listening to them. What does it look like for you to be a good neighbor? There's four things. It's nothing magical about them. Accept them, take an interest in them, make time for them, and serve them. There's nothing magical about that. What does it look like for you in your neighborhood? With the, with the people, God has put you and me exactly where he wants us to be. He's put people around you that need to get to know him better and that he loves, that are precious to him. Like, what does it look like for you to love your neighbors as yourself? We're going to, um, as a staff, we've been thinking a lot about how we as a church can help each other get to know our neighbors. And so we're going to do a little project together here over the next few weeks that I am super, super excited about. we got a little video to kind of introduce it, then I'll follow up and explain. So I'm excited about this. We're going to uh, take these next few weeks while we're doing this series, and we're going to partner with this organization called Souls for Jesus to do something called the Shoe Project. Uh, a couple of our other campuses have done this in the past, and it has been a really, really powerful thing. And here's, here's why we're doing this. Two reasons. Let me give you two reasons why we're doing this. First off, this is a great organization that is doing some really helpful things for people that have very little, like struggling in significant ways, don't even have shoes to wear, right? And not only are they collecting shoes to help them, but also when they distribute the shoes, they're, they're giving them the gospel. They're telling them about Jesus. And so for people like us, that most of us will never go over to Africa and have any sort of conversation with people or be able to meet any of their needs personally that way, this is an awesome opportunity for us to do this as a campus through Souls for Jesus. That's one thing. The second thing is, what it does is it gives us good reason to go to our neighbors and begin a conversation, right? Which many times that could be the hardest part. Like, you know, to, to get the courage to knock on a door and be like, I know we've lived next to you for the last 17 years, but my name's Jeff, and I want to enter. Like, that's awkward, right? This is a way that we could go to our neighbors, and we have a good reason to go to them and say, hey, we're collecting shoes for people in Africa that have no shoes, and I wanted to see if maybe you had some old shoes laying around the house that you didn't want, that you're going to get rid of anyway, and maybe we could get those shoes from you and we can get them sent over to people that could really, really need them in Africa, right? It's powerful. It gives us an opportunity, a natural opportunity to do some good in the world and also get to know our neighbors. So here's how it looks. This is what it's going to look like over the next few weeks. Next week in our programs, okay, there's going to be a little insert. It's going to be a little card that explains what the shoe project is and why we're collecting shoes and where they're going and all that sort of stuff. And then you can take that. We'll have more of them on the back table too. You can take Take that, knock on your neighbor's door, not, not go to 50 neighbors, right? But to go to three or four or five neighbors, that's it. 
to knock on their door and say, hi, I'm Jeff. I live down there. I'm sorry I never met you before, but um, we're doing this little project called the Shoe Project where we're collecting shoes for folks to send over to Africa that they have no shoes. And I was wondering if maybe you had any shoes that you're just going to get rid of that you'd like to donate. Most people aren't going to shut the door in your face, right? Most people are going to like, I hate those Africans. No way. They're not going to say that, right? So then what you tell them is, if you're, if you're interested, then if, if it be okay with you, I'll come back next week. If it's okay, I'll come back next week, give you some time to like gather the shoes together, right? And I'll come back and I'll collect the shoes from you. And then the next week, you go back and you collect the shoes and you get another conversation. Conversation number two. That's not weird or whatever. Like you get a, a very natural conversation to get to know them a little bit better. And you get the shoes, you'll bring them back to church. Okay, we'll set up like a receptacle area in our new building. Do you know we're getting a new building next week? Yeah, We'll have a little receptacle area over there where you can drop the shoes in there. Okay, And then what we'll do is we'll pack the shoes. So this is a blast. Like We'll have a packing event as a campus. All the shoes that come in, and we'll pack them up, and we'll get them all shipped out over to, uh, to Souls for Jesus, who then will get them to Africa. And then what we'll do is we'll print out another little thing that says, we collected this many shoes, and we sent them over, and thank you so much for being a part of this. And then on the other side, it's got a little invite to Grace Church with our Christmas series coming up. Right? Christmas is the time of year when most people that are not church people, they consider going to church. And so you get a chance to invite them to church. So you get three conversations, like natural conversations, not trying to be manipulated or bait and switch or anything like that, but three natural reasons to go to your neighbors and say, hey, I'm Jeff. Like We're trying to do something to help. Are you have any interest at all in helping with this? Right? To get a conversation started. Does that make sense? So that's all going to start next week. Here's all I want you to do this week. It's all I want you to do. Pray. Just pray. And ask God to open up the doors, like literally, I guess, open up the doors with, your, with the right neighbors around you that you can go and get to know them. Have a conversation with them. Be a good neighbor. Love them as you love yourself, Right? Just talk to God and ask him to lead you to the people that he wants you to lead, that he wants to lead you to. That's all I want you to do this week. And I can't wait to hear stories. Maybe there'll be some stories of doors kicked in our face. I don't know. Those are fun stories too. But I think there's going to be amazing stories of you and I getting to know our neighbors that maybe we would have never have gotten to know any other way. So that's the plan, all right? So the challenge this week is to pray. So why don't we do that right now?